Giuliano. It is Monday, the 25th of November, 2019. Pete, what number does that make this? 215. 215. We've got to start out by saying, just when I said that date, we've got to start out by saying, Happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners in the United States of America, which will be, who will be celebrating Thanksgiving this Thursday. Yes. What are you Turkey doing? Day. You, are you, you already, is Pasta Pete been, been called to action? Yeah, yes, I, I'm working on it. Uh, I have a phased procurement of the Thanksgiving vittles, and uh, phase three will be executed today. <laughs> Very good. You're way, you're way ahead of us. Um, Maria arrived yesterday, back from college. Billy will be in tomorrow. The the clan is gathering, so uh, we're looking we're looking forward to it. Hey, um, before we get into the radio stuff, which is the the, the kind of, the, no pun intended, the meat of our program. Ooh, um, <laughs> ooh I know, pretty bad. Um, another, a, a bit of travel log. We had a, a bit of travel here, not on Earth, observed from Earth. On the 11th of November, the transit of Mercury. I just wanted to mention it. We do a bit of, we, we dabble in astronomy here, Pete. And we were dabbling a little bit on the 11th of November. I read on the internet that they were going to have a transit of Mercury. This is when the planet Mercury crosses the disk of the sun as visible from earth i i kind of i really wasn't that that into it and i was sitting out in the front yard and uh, i got a text from my son out in college he said hey just walked across campus and the astronomy majors had the uh, equipment out and were able was able to look at an image of the uh, the transit of mercury i said hmm i, I thought it was gonna happen later in the day but then i realized i had been looking at the uh, the schedule in uh, universal coordinated time. Oh, yeah. Not good. So uh, I quickly pulled out the telescope, not looking directly through it, of course, projected the, the solar image on a piece of paper like we did several years ago with Venus, and barely I could barely, barely, barely see Mercury going across there. But I saw it, got a picture of it with the iPhone, put it up on the, uh, on the page. I, I just I was I was briefly confused. I said I did this before, didn't I? It was back in 2012. That but that was the transit of Venus. Venus is much larger and much closer. Makes a bigger circle on the solar disk. But we saw we saw Mercury and you know we have a saying in Spanish, no hay mal que por bien no venga. Every dark cloud has a silver lining. The um, roughly uh, the <laughs> the fact that there were no sunspots at all made it possible to see the tiny little dot that was the, the shadow of the planet Mercury. Oh, cool. If there had been sunspots, it would have been hard to, to detect. But uh, no spots. We're at the no solar no sunspot spot on the solar cycle. So um, anyway, we were able to we were able to see Mercury. Any tra- any anything anything to report in the travelogue uh, calendar section for you, Pete? Oh no, no. Just uh, we're we're kind of stay at home types and uh, that's just fine with me. Although uh, uh, this, uh, this holiday, uh, in the middle of the week, uh, bad weather, man, even here in California, they're expecting about, uh, two inches of rain in Ventura County in one day. And, uh, there, there there's some, uh, mountains kind of surrounding this area and, uh, they said, look for snow. Oh man, hang in there. Well, I guess you, you get, you get through with the, through with the fires and then right into the snow, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exciting there you go. stuff. Good stuff. Hey, um, no, we got clear skies here this morning. Really, really nice. Um, a couple of quick book reviews. We occasionally do book reviews here on the Solder Smoke Podcast, and I have picked up two, and I'm reading two books right now. 
related, very much related to stuff that we work on. First is a new book just out, out just this year called uh, Through Two Doors at Once by Anil Ananthaswamy. Anil Ananthaswamy, published in 2019. He is a, um, a science writer with The New Scientist, and he's produced this really, really easy-to-understand book on the, the double slit, the two-slit experiment that is at the heart of quantum physics. And it's, it's really a, a nice book because he, he doesn't, he, he's, he's honest enough to say, look, we don't, nobody understands this part of it. We don't know why this happens. But it's also of interest to us because unlike some of the others, he's not just focused on the theorists. He's also focused on the, the, the people who are developing the hardware for the experiments, which I think is of more interest to, to those of us who melt solder in their uh, ham shacks. But that was a really good, that's a really good book. And I found another one. Elisa and I went to the library here. She needed to pick up something, and I just went along. And of course, while she was looking, I went to the small section of the local library that has to do with radio and electronics. And I found a new book that, that I hadn't noticed before. And it's Faraday Maxwell on the Electromagnetic Field by Forbes and Mahan, Mahan, published in 2014. It really is a two-part biography. The first part about Michael Faraday, the second part by about uh, James Clark Maxwell. And uh, really, really interesting stuff. An interesting view of Faraday and his kind of ups and downs as he went through life. And I didn't realize that Maxwell is off. Maxwell's off was often presented as the the pure theorist, the uh, the kind of the the mathematician in the duo, but he was also a bit of an experimentalist too. And he had a, <clears throat> he had kind of a science shack in his house growing up, and was very interested in the experimental uh, side of, of science also. So those are uh, two good books that I'd recommend. And you know. Christmas is a coming, guys. We'll talk about that in the Shameless Commerce Division, but those are two things you might want to you know, suggest to Santa Claus there for you. Pete. Uh, can, can I interrupt you a second please. here, Bill? And, and this this is for those people that are unfamiliar with the library. Um, and, and there was a classification system called the Dewey Decimal System. And the Dewey Decimal System enabled you to find books uh, by a categorization. And if you want to go find the electronics books, look for section 6.21 to 6.23. So you don't have to kind of rummage through the whole library trying to find the books. All libraries classify things by the Dewey Decimal System. So look for 6.21 and 6.23. You'll save yourself a lot of time if you ever, by chance, go in a library. (laughs) And we recommend it. Yes. (laughs) Good stuff in there. All right, Pete. Why do I know that stuff? I you don't know. know this stuff. <laughs> the guy, people are saying, but it's not, where, do I, where do I find it on my smartphone? Yeah, yeah, right. Hey, uh, well, you know, we are. I, I, I am responsible now, Pete, on the same note, for dragging the podcast firmly back into the Luddite zone. Luddism is alive and well because today I'm going to continue to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the... Um, little experimental transmitter, the ET2, that I've been playing with. We talked about this in the last podcast, but I want it, to, it, it's really been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's been a learning experience for me, and there's connections to, uh, to history that I think we should talk about. I know you have dabbled in it too, and we're going to talk about your, your, your version of the, at least on the, on the receive side. But first, an update. Um, 
I'm up to 15 contacts wow. with this thing. And it's it's just been so much fun. I, I put pictures of it up on the um, on the blog. What I've taken to doing is I have a, a Sharpie sitting right next to the rig. And as soon as I complete a, a QSO with another station, I take out the Sharpie and I very ceremoniously write the call sign right on the board that is the base of, of the ET2 rig. So space is filling up. There are 50, There's actually, I think, 13 call signs there. Because uh, with, um, with Jim, uh, W1PID, I actually made four of the contacts, four of the 15 are with, with Jim. So uh, the, the space is filling up, and it's really cool to see the call signs. Each of them is a fond memory. Um, I, I must admit, though, and I want to. I want to. There, there are some ethical issues involved in the use of the ET2, and I know our listeners are are very interested in this kind of stuff. Almost all of my contacts, actually, fourteen of the fifteen, are the result of me spotting myself on one of the DX clusters or on one of the message boards that serves uh, our community of radio amateurs. Pete, are you troubled by this? No. Neither am I. Some people apparently are, but I'm not, and I don't feel bad about it. And I thought about this, thought about it this way. Look, there's a long tradition of asking folks to listen for you and, and in an effort to make a contact. The first transatlantic test when they went across to the other side and set up a station and tried to cross the Atlantic with amateur signals was all based on hams being asked to listen for the distant station. So there's a long tradition there. Here's the other thing. I'm running around 100 milliwatts. That's not really the hard part. The hard part these days is crystal control. Back, back, back in the um, in the day when we were when we were novices, Pete, guys used to tune around a little bit to see if somebody was answering a CWCQ. Those days are long gone. If you're not transmitting precisely within the 250 hertz or 500 hertz um, passband of the other guy's receiver. He's just not going to hear you. So uh, that's a tremendous disadvantage these days. Plus, back in the day, receivers were so broad that even if you were, <laughs> even if you were, you know, a kilohertz or so off, he'd probably still hear you anyway, right? Right. But anyway, um, so with, and also here's the other thing. We are at solar minimum. This is like rock bottom. If you check the, um, the propagation corner of the solder smoke blog every day. There's one index that one, one number there that they give every day. It's SN Sierra November. You know what that is? Sunspot number. Day after day. You know what? It, you know what the number is? Zero. Zero. <laughs> There's no sunspots, and the, the solar flux index. Somebody was saying that that they, they, it's it's really sad because they get very excited if the solar flux index goes above 70 most days it's hovering down around 68 69 if it goes up to 70 guys are like woohoo dx time let's go so for these reasons i don't feel bad about spotting myself and putting a note out there saying hey i'm calling cq on 7038.6 kilohertz 100 milliwatts please listen and call me and i've had really good responses guys really do try they see it and they uh, they try to make the contact and anyway we're up, we're up to 15 QSOs. I don't I don't know how much longer this is going to go on because it's not the most comfortable rig in the world to to operate. But uh, 15 so far is pretty good. I'm having fun with it. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to make uh, just a, a couple of comments. One, I think that's a great idea about writing the call signs on the board because when you put that up on the wall as a piece of living art, that'll add such a dimension to it because that's a proof of context. I think I'm the first one to do this, Pete. I, I, I think you are. And I think this might establish a trend. See, and the, the thing is, after you finish with a rig like this, you know how it is. You get You get kind of finished with it. Some guys will just take it apart and then it's gone. I'm not going to take it apart. I'm going to leave it there. And I've actually got the um, the connect the connector stuff, the kind of the hook and eye um, stuff to, to put it up on the wall. And it's nice. It'll be three-dimensional. It'll be artwork. And if sometime in the future I get this crazy urge to try out the ET2 again, I'll just take it off the wall, power yeah. it up, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah, so absolutely. So I, I, I think it'll be fun. There's another kind of ethical dimension, ethical issue here. You know, Glenn Yingling, W2UW, was the guy who started this whole thing with his ET1 uh, back, I think, around 2001, 2002. And I, I checked, and, and Glenn uh, has become a silent key. He passed away oh. in 2012. But his, his rig and his ideas live on. I'm sure he'd be, he'd be thrilled with all this discussion of his, his old rig. You know, but... but the thing for him was to make it a single transistor transceiver. Now, there's other, others who've done this. You, you've pointed out the NAT uh, trans, transistor yep. uh, transceiver out of Arizona, I think. Um, but the, his thing was to make a transceiver with just one FET. He used the MPF-102, and he had a little switching arrangement to, to switch back and forth from... The, all, all three terminals of the FET would switch from receiver to transmitter, and that's that's how he did it. Now, um, Roger, G3XBM, he did the same thing a few years later with his FET-er. He, did, he, he built his on 80 meters. But both these guys really have my admiration because they did do it with a single FET. Now, I kind of tried and failed because I, I, I had trouble with the switching arrangement. I found that it would mess up the, uh, the performance of the receiver, just having to add, you know, a few inches of lead of wire for each of the um, each of the terminals of the of the FET. So I went with two FETs. So one is permanently in the transmitter, one is permanently in the receiver. Pete, I do not feel bad about this either. My conscience is clear. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm in your corner. Okay, here's my logic, and this is a rationalization. I know some guys are going to roll their eyes on this one, but I am still using one transistor at a time. <laughs> so when I'm in the transmit position, it's one FET, that's it, pumping out 100 milliwatts, firing the wire up to the antenna, out to the ether. When I throw it to the receive system, it's, it's still one FET in the regenerative receiver, that is producing the uh, the, uh, the the receive signal. So here's the other thing. I realized that by using two transistors, I can actually reduce the parts count. If I went with one transistor, I would have to add a switch so the net would be the same parts count. I would okay. I'd reduce one transistor, but I'd have to add the four pole double throw switch so the part counts remains the same. But here's the thing. If be, I would be turning completely turning off the receiver, I would need some sort of circuitry for side tone. I can't sand CW unless I can hear something beeping or buzzing. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so 
um, how do you do side tone? Well, because my receiver is still powered up, and uh, and the only thing that I switch when I throw this TR switch is the antenna. Uh, believe me, that receiver buzzes when the 100 milliwatt signal fires up just on the other side of the board. That provides the side tone. So there you go, another rationalization for using two transistors instead of one. But again, my admiration and uh, my applause for uh, for for Glenn Ling- Yingling and, and Roger G3XBM for for getting that uh, that uh, that that single transistor uh, operation going. A couple of tips. Let me let me just throw you a couple of tips out there um, on how to use one of these things. If anybody is possessed by the same kind of craziness that I've been hit with, I, okay, I got a seven zero four zero crystal in there, but again, because of the precision uh, transceivers that most people are using these days, when you spot yourself on uh, on one of these DX clusters, or I also use the Straight Key Century Club a SCED page. You better tell them the precise frequency that you're transmitting on. And just because the crystal says 7040, that doesn't mean that's where your RF is going out. You know, the, 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 the parameters, the other parts in the, in the transmit circuit will pull that crystal a little bit. So I got my precise frequency readout. You know, you know how I got it? Uh, no, yeah, lots. I can think of lots of ways, but I'm not sure what you did. I think the best way to do it is with the reverse beacon network, right? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, because you know I'm transmitting, and so there are these guys. There are multiple receivers out there, and they're all reporting. <coughs> sorry, they're all reporting anybody who's calling CQ. So I'm calling CQ, and they also report the frequency. All of them are reporting seven zero three eight point six kilohertz. So I know that's where the uh, my RF is going out. So that's what I use when I advertise my advertise my signal on the DX clusters. The other thing I have to do is, and, and uh, the guy who who developed the receiver, Doug N0WVA, he pointed to this. How do you make sure that your receiver is also lined up precisely with your transmit frequency? You know, it has to be off a little bit to give you the tone. It has to be off you know, 700 hertz or so, so that you can, you could hear it. But what I do is I have my little field tech signal generator and I have, I tune that up to 7038.6. And then I'm, I take the receiver and I zero beat it with that frequency. So when I'm calling CQ with hundred milliwatts, I know my receiver is tuned precisely at 7038.6. And when I send that K signal, I just tune a little bit to either side, just a little bit to either side, and then I can hear somebody calling back and responding to my CQ. But if you don't do it that way, even if your receiver is just one kilohertz off your transmit frequency, forget about it. Some guy could be calling you, and you wouldn't hear him. So you really need to know how that receiver's lined up. And look, these... um, these regen receivers, in terms of stability, they're a long way from your beloved SI-5351, Pete. They oh, yeah. move. If you breathe on them, they move. If you move your yeah. hand too close to them, they move. So you got to have to settle down, sit down in front of the thing. Don't move around too much. But, hey, 15 QSOs, it was, it was possible. So anyway, we're, uh, we've been having a lot of fun with this. Well, I, I wanted to – you just shared some really critical information that uh, – may be useful uh, to those who are naysayers about what you're doing. 
First of, uh, if you look at the actual marked crystal frequency at 7.040, that's a problematic frequency because of the guys doing whisper. The whisper guys are listening on 7.038600, which is your transmit frequency, but they transmit on 7.04. Matter of fact, that was one of the reasons why they moved the QRP frequency from 7.04 up to 7.030 because of whisper. So so you're having competition if you are actually transmitting on 7.04. But what's worse is everybody's listening on 7.038 for the whisper signal, which is where you're transmitting. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. (laughs) (laughs) I I should have recognized it because I was on whisper for a long time. But yeah. it just shows well, you my no, wonder- no. But it's it, it's a, it's a good news story, Bill. You're making those contacts right in the middle of the whisper. Oh man, <laughs> um, you know I I moved I moved already because I, I had a crystal for that that's marked seven oh six oh. But I find that that at, and that used to be kind of a kind of a QRP hangout frequency up there, but with now FT eight. And a lot of the other digital modes operating up there, I find that that it was just too crowded up there, and there'd be all kinds of digital stuff. So that's when I moved down to the seven o four o. I have another one for seven o three o. I might I might move down there to get away from the poor whisper people. And I know that a hundred milliwatts in Whisperland that's like uh, that's that's a big signal. So that's I'm, a QRO I'm, signal. Yeah. I'm hoping I'm not. Mess- I haven't received any complaints. <laughs> No, no, but it's you're in competition with them, and you're still making contacts. That's, yeah, that's I, a positive I, thing. I, I don't hear them, so they're they're apparently whispering or really, yes. really, really low. Yes. A <laughs> hey, um, you know this 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 is another issue. This, the the most the most interesting part of the whole ET two is the is the regenerative receiver, and you know I've had a a really problematic history with uh with regens. I I really for a long time considered them to be possessed evil and uh, and and the kind of circuits that should not be built but this circuit n0wva's circuit doug's circuit has really made me rethink my uh, my opposition to the regents and i've really come to like this circuit the other thing there's, there's a there's a few things that are great about it one i mean simplicity it is amazing and i know you built one and you were amazed by it too but you're sitting there and you're looking at this circuit and there are like seven or eight parts on the board. That's it. Yet, you're able to listen, I mean clearly, to CW signals, sideband signals, and this weekend, AM signals on 40 meters, amateur AM signals on 40 meters. And so it's an amazing technological capability for one J310 or MPF102 uh, transistor. The other thing that's great about it, beyond the simplicity, is how it connects you with radio history. And um, Dave, W2DAB, recently sent me the, the, the biography of um, Edwin Howard Armstrong, the guy who invented this. You know, the, the circuit in the, circuit in, the um, in Doug's uh, N0WVA's rig is called the Armstrong Oscillator, but... There's a good reason for that, and it, it's because that's the, the original, you know, Armstrong, in 1912, 1913, 
was sitting up in his apartment, his ham shack, uh, his parents' house in Yonkers, New York. And he made a number of observations and he put them in his book. It says here, September 22nd, 1912, set up circuits and tuned a wing circuit. Great amplification obtained at once. Noticed peculiar change of tone of signal as the maximum amplification was obtained. Signal changed from clear to hissing tone and, and Audion also hissed when wing inductance was set at a certain value. You and I have been doing this as we, as we fool around with the, with the coils on these receivers. But listen to this. This is the moment. Now, this is amazing because at this point, uh, Howard Armstrong is the only person in the world aware of this and doing this. As Armstrong investigated the new phenomenon in various circuit arrangements through the winter of 1912-1913, the results continued to be astounding. Distant signals, which had come in before only as a whisper on the most favorable occasions, came in so loud that the headphones could be left on the table and the message distinguished across the room, a thing unheard of. Nearby amateur stations, which had never had enough power to get from New York to Yonkers, came in with such a volume as to, quote, paralyze the tube. With only a single Audion tube and such apparatus as might have filled three or four shoeboxes, he regularly heard Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, Clifton, Ireland, and other stations over Europe. The apparatus pulled in not only spark signals, but also continuous wave signals from the Poulsen Arc stations, all the way from Sayville, Long Island, where German Telefunken had a station, to San Francisco and Honolulu. No commercial apparatus then known had such range or power of amplification. So here's, Armstrong was 22 years old at the time, and he's sitting up in this little workshop up there in Yonkers, New York, and, and suddenly the, the electromagnetic spectrum opens up. You know, and he is using the tube version of exactly the rig that, that we've been fooling around with here, with the same tickler coil. And instead of an FET, he had a little triode, the Audion triode. But there's this connection with radio history that has contributed to my reevaluation of the, the regens. Really good stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, a couple things I'd note here One, before we, we get off on our regen kick here a little bit. But um, um, when I built my first ET2, the 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 regen, the first one, I used the variometer that I had from my old friend Pedicle in the Dominican Republic. And it was kind of a, a, it looks like commercial. It's kind of a, it's, it's really kind of cool looking. It's kind of, it's kind of a steampunk look to it. I'll put another picture up on the blog. But I looked at Doug's N0WVA regen. He put a video up and I put it on the blog. The last entry in the blog, I think, is Doug's regen. I must say, Doug's sounds better than mine. This is, this is, this is a great part of doing this kind of radio work. You, you think yours is good, then you see the, the, the product produced by somebody else and you say, damn, his sounds better. So I started thinking, all right, I'm going to try to reproduce the good results that Doug came up with. So I, I, I sat there and I looked at how did he come up with the variometer. The variometer is basically a fixed coil with another coil, a tickler coil inside it that can be rotated and, and so that the orientation of the two coils can be physically changed. He made his out of an old pill bottle. He used a syringe, a pharmaceutical syringe, as the shaft for the inner rotating coil. 
And I figured, well, I could do something similar. So I just sat here this week, and in an hour or so, I made my own variometer. I wound my coil, the two coils, about the same dimension that Doug did, and put this thing together on another little board. And you know what? It sounds almost as good as Doug's, especially on SSB. I've got it set up for the SSB on 40, but it, it's really, really great. Now, my question is, how come I can't make the first one sound quite as good? And this is a reminder that there's, <laughs> when you get into the regen area, Pete, there's a lot of black magic, a lot of mojo, a lot of lore, juju, soul, and individuality in these receivers. Results might not be entirely replicable. It's not like a, a superhead design where you're just adding an amplifier that adds a certain amount of dBm and you add, put an input signal into a mixer, an SBL1 mixer or something where the results are all very standardized. There's a lot of individuality in these receivers. And I was reminded of an old story. I don't know if you, you, you heard this. I might have it wrong. But in the early days, when the, when, the, when the Audion tube first started being used in regenerative receivers, some of the guys who were ship radio operators on ships, you know, before this, there had only been crystal detectors. And they could barely hear each other. And suddenly, this, this regenerative receiver circuit came out. Guys started making their own regen receivers, and then they would carry the regen receiver with them as they were transferred from ship to ship. So, and they and they be, they developed this kind of sense that this is my prize, this is my favorite regen receiver, and I'm going to take it with me. Uh, I I think that I was I was did some checking on the internet, and I saw some articles that indicated that that might have been true. But it's a reminder of the individuality and the kind of the quirkiness, the kind of charming quirkiness of these circuits. Really good stuff. Here's a well, question. Is this I, for... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to inter, introduce uh, two concepts. Uh, I, I think part of the explanation is the factor, the K factor of mutual inductance. Yeah. Uh, in, in the uh, latter build that uh, replicates uh, Doug's uh, design, uh, you're, you're perhaps uh, really fully exploiting the mutual inductance between the tickler coil and the main tuning coil. And then there's our old Barkhausen criteria, which takes that K factor, K beta equals one, <laughs> and you have an oscillator. So I, I suspect that part of the reason that version two sounds better than version one is is the mutual inductance uh, between the two coils. And that's why they call it a variometer, is you can vary the level of mutual inductance. Yeah, I, I can get them. I, I was thinking about that, and that, that is probably a big part of it. But I can get both rigs, of course, to the point where they're fully oscillating, and then I can get them both to the point where I'm backing off from full oscillation. So in terms as, as oscillators, and I, I, I was telling people, when, you, when you're thinking about building a regen, the first thing to do is to say, okay, I'm going to build an oscillator. Um, and then the second step is I've built the oscillator. Now I'm going to see whether I can control the oscillator by either the throttle circuit or the variometer circuit or whatever that particular receiver uses. And then once, you, once you're once you able to control it, to move it into oscillation and out of oscillation or close to the oscillation point, then you add kind of input from the antenna and turn the thing into a regen receiver. So that, that might be part of it. Um, it also might be just losses in the, in the LC circuit itself. The first ring might have a little bit more loss 
in the LC circuit. I rewound the coil completely on the original variometer to try to get it closer to what Doug has. My my coil originally was really a very, very low value of L. It was like 4.6 microhenries. And I noticed that Doug was using about 31 microhenries. And then, you know, with a, with a, with a corresponding change in how much capacitance you'd add there to, to make it resonant. So I, I moved the LC ratio closer to what Doug had, and that did imp- improve things quite a bit. I think the first receiver now is getting close to the performance of Doug's, but man, that, that second one, it's really, really good. And uh, if, if, if the first one wasn't um, designated as a, a work of art, I probably would tear it apart and start all over again, but I don't want to do that because there's this kind of emotional connection. This is the rig that I worked the 15 contacts with. Right, right. So we'll, we'll leave it there. Hey, as I'm talking, I know that some guys are going to think, wow, this is great. This is perfect. This is like just, you know, seven or eight parts. This would be a great beginner's rig. And you and I have talked about this a little bit. My thinking is that this is not a great rig for beginners because there's some irony here that the the simplicity of this rig actually makes it harder to get working properly. Uh, And this may account for my early bad experiences with regens. I was not a, a very experienced builder at the time. So even though the circuit looked really simple, it was really frustrating because I just didn't have the background, the experience, uh, to get the thing to work right. It, there is an irony here. This is probably not a good rig for the beginners. It's simple, but it's probably too simple. So you're probably better off if you're starting in the receiver building area, you're probably better off building a direct conversion receiver where you don't have all the functions tied up in one little piece of silicon really that really understand what's going on in the regen that little transistor it is your rf amplifier it is also your oscillator it is also your audio amplifier and it's also your mixer right so you got four things happening inside of one little transistor whereas when you build a dc receiver a direct conversion receiver you could have one transistor as the rf amplifier one device as the mixer one device as the oscillator and a separate fourth device as the audio amplifier. It's much easier to get that kind of thing going because if you have a problem, you can isolate it. You could say, oh, okay, well, you know, the audio amplifier is not working properly. The RF amplifier is not working properly. When you jam them all into one transistor, it's, it's harder to do that. So I would say that don't take on the, do, do the regen thing definitely, but don't do it as your, as your first receiver project. I think that's sage advice, Bill, yes. You know, um, one other thing this, this made me think about before we switch to the, to the shameless commerce division, Pete, I wanted to point out something. I, I got, as I was fooling around with the transmitter, and by the way, Armstrong, when he developed that regen receiver, he realized that when he drove it into oscillation, he had come up with a new way of producing RF continuous wave. So that was the invention of the oscillator as we know it. So that was the that was another really big invention up there in Armstrong's Hamshack. When you think about it, not only did he come up with this fantastic receiver, he realized that if he cranked up the feedback, it started to oscillate. That that was the invention of oscillators of the kind that that we we use in in all of our rigs, except for the kind that 
that you love so much, the SI-5350. <laughs> okay. okay. I had to get that in. I, I had to, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not being yeah, critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, when I was doing this, uh, um, when I was fooling around with the reverse beacon network, I realized that this is we have this great resource. You call CQ, and this network just responds to your um, your call and tells you whether you're getting out. Well, there's another thing you could do. You could actually listen. There's another. There's a network of SDR receivers that have been placed online, and it's called the Kiwi SDR network. But there's others out there too. You just go just go to Google and search. You know, online SDR receivers. You pick one in an area where you know your RF is going. You tune to the frequency. In my case, seven hundred three eight point six, and you listen, and then you, you press down your key and you send out a series of Vs or you call CQ, and there's a bit of a delay, but through your computer, you'll hear your signal landing, in my case, somewhere up in New England. And that is, that is really cool. So you could, you could put yourself at the other end. You know, we, we, were, we were talking about this because um, Lou, Echo Alpha 3, Japan Echo, uh, maybe using one of these online receivers. I don't consider it cheating. I, it's fine. What, what you know? What, you know? It's it's the use of new technology. But this made me think. Hey, this is a tremendous opportunity for you guys who built Michigan Mighty Mites. Those Michigan Mighty Mites are now probably gathering dust on a shelf somewhere. Dust them. Dust them off. Fire them up. Hook them up to a, a 75 meter antenna. Find yourself a um, an 80 meter antenna. Find yourself a, an SDR receiver. And see if you can hear yourself on the air using your Michigan Mighty Might receiver. You could even use the same uh, Michigan Mighty Might transmitter. You could even use the same online receiver to see if anybody responds to your CQ and try to work them that way. <laughs> that would be that would be fun. Please let us know if anybody has any success in this area. Um, what do you think, Pete? Oh no, I, I think that's uh, that makes a lot of sense and. Uh, uh, you know, the other thing too, is it tells you something about the, uh, quality of your signal. Some, sometimes when you build CW transmitters, man, you get, uh, key clicks and you get, uh, because the circuits are being driven a little bit hard, you get the whoop whoop sound because, uh, you're really straining that oscillator running, it, it, running too much power. So you're heating up that crystal. So that's, that's another thing too, is it tells you something about signal quality. I got I got a report of chirp. Ooh. Jim W1PID very gently gave me like not a 589, a 588. Ooh, with a C. Ooh. But I enjoyed it. I said this is kind of a charm these days. In this, yeah. this these these days of Kenwoods and Icons, the Yesus, having a little chirp is sort of a a charming mark yeah. of character, I'd say. Yeah. A nostalgic thing. Yeah. And it sets you apart. Wear it like a badge of courage. Well, you know, when I'm on the air, when I'm tuning around the CW band, when I hear a little bit of that whoop, 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 I'm thinking, whoop, there's something interesting going on there. Yeah. That's, right. so, that's somebody who's pulled out an old rig or built up something uh, for the uh, Antique Wireless Association contest or something. It, I, 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 I like that. So uh, anyway, but I did try to straighten it out. And in my, our next QSO, Jim told me that I had uh, eliminated the, the chirp. There you go. I may have key clicks, but they're probably so weak that nobody would even notice. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Enough of that for now. I, I'm 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 obsessed with this thing. I'm going to eventually have to stop and move on to some other project. But for now, this is this has been a lot of fun. Hey, Pete, 
you don't have to remind me because I wrote it down here. The Shameless, shameless Commerce, Commerce Division. Shameless Commerce Division. SDC, SCD, SCD. Hey, we already mentioned Christmases are coming. So uh, when you're making those purchases for your loved ones, try to do it through the Amazon search block on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. It's in the upper right. Just initiate your search this there. there. Just type in, you know, Lamborghini or Maserati or, um, you know, Hope Diamond or anything like that. And we get a, a chunk of the money. You don't have, doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't cost me anything, of course. But, and it costs Bezos some money. And Jeff Bezos will send us uh, a portion there. So that's a good way to fund the Solder Smoke podcast. And Pete, we have been engaged in some expenditures here to improve the audio quality. Yes, yes. We, we don't want to prejudice anybody here. We don't want to talk about it in detail. We have spent some money. So uh, we need you guys to throw some money in the in the in the can there and the best way to do it is not to you you to throw the money in but have bezos do it so take a look do it uh, do your christmas shopping through the uh the the amazon block in the upper right hand corner of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page um another thing you could do for us is subscribe to our youtube page i need uh i'm, I'm so, they tell me i need about a thousand subscribers on the youtube page we're up to 997. <laughs> so if go. a few more guys would subscribe, um, just go to YouTube and then search for the Solder Smoke channel. You'll see uh, you'll see me there and uh, subscribe. And then you will every time we put up a new video, you'll get an alert. And that's all there is to it. We've got 95 videos up there. More are coming. Wow. So uh, subscribe to uh, to the Solder Smoke uh, channel on YouTube. I'd appreciate it, Pete. You've been doing a lot of stuff on your bench. Tell us about it. What's going on? Oh, well, first of uh, Bill, I'm uh, observing our uh, our new audio equipment, and uh, boy, it looks pretty good. Um, first of a little bit of a public service announcement from N6QW. If anybody has any information on the Ukrainian conspiracy, please contact uh, <laughs> Representative Devin Nunes oh, from man, Central California. Uh, he, he would love to hear from you. So uh, <laughs> please contact Devin. Uh, he, he's always looking for good information. But um, uh, I'd like to start off uh, a little bit about uh, uh, when you know stuff, you can do stuff. That's, I think that's, and, I want to I get a T-shirt made like that. <laughs> when you know stuff, you can do stuff. Um, my current blog post at n6qw.blogspot.com kind of really uh, hones in on the, on the subject of uh, knowing stuff and, and sharing that information, being an Elmer. Uh, I, I think it's important, uh, just as you have shared information, Bill, about the ET2, and, and you know, you, I can tell you're really excited about it, but at the same time, you, you provide a cautionary note saying, don't get so excited that you jump right into this and then have some poor results. Um, there's a lot of experience uh, that goes into <clears throat> making a project like the ET2 successful, and and it also involves uh, studying and reading about it. Uh, you can tell just by all the references that you've dug out, and and that's the problem today is that uh, so many new hams just want to jump right in there and start soldering stuff without understanding what's going on and. Um, I, I think there was somebody that built a regen receiver that was quite complex <laughs> and couldn't get it working, and it went to the landfill. Uh, and, and so that was almost predictable. And, and so you need to, you know, take on projects where you can really fully explore and understand what's going on. 
And uh, I had a little fun uh, yesterday, uh, Bill, and this is also on the blog. I participated in the uh, Collins Collectors Association net on 20 meters using my KWM4. Oh, man, I loved it. I saw the video. It was wonderful. And, uh, you know, unsolicited, the guy said, that really sounds good. (laughs) And, And I didn't didn't have to spend a thousand dollars to 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 achieve that so uh you know take things small and and uh you know work with them and and build them uh and and then you you know it's a progressive build that you build on the knowledge base uh while i'm at it i wanted to share uh uh, something uh, about a new device um i ordered some parts from w-a-d-i-z and uh he's he's got a company called kits and parts they're down in florida and uh, he is a really good source for, for toroids. Um, matter of fact, uh, Amadon, which is very close to me where I f- physically live here in California, um, you order a small amount of toroids and they want 12 bucks for the shipping. Uh, I, I can buy toroids in batch from WADIZ, same product, and, and the shipping is a lot less. So uh, worth looking at. But he has a couple of RF devices, and one in particular is called the 2SC5706. 2SC5706. This is a bipolar device, and uh, it's about a quarter of the size of an IRF510, and this thing is good for 5 watts. As a matter of fact, uh, WADIZ is selling a kit, a complete kit, of a linear RF amplifier at, at 5 watts, and, and it's conservatively at 5 watts because he's got two in, uh, in push-pull, and uh, you get all the parts, and it's got the schematic there. So you you get a couple of the devices, and you get ten for four bucks. So you have a lot of chance to smoke devices before <laughs> before you get one to work. <laughs> but uh, forty cents a piece. They really look exciting, and I I purchased those because I'm also working on the ZL2 BMI Challenge Rig, and I was looking for an RF device that was smaller than IR510 to fit in the uh, fit in the box. So I'll keep you posted on that. But uh, my my blog post really centers on the fact that uh, uh, so many times uh, new hams just just don't want to take the time. And I cite the case of the guy uh, who uh, who was looking to buy a pre-wired 16 by 2 cool blue LCD because he bought one and in process of soldering the 16 wires he 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 burnt the LCD. And and I guess the thing is instead of asking for someone to you know, where can I buy one pre-wired? You know, a better answer would be, um, who can teach me how to solder? <laughs> you know, maybe he has, needs an Elmer somewhere that say, okay, let's look at how you can wire up that LCD because uh, just just buying a pre-wired LCD gives no knowledge base on the, the next time you have to solder something, and and you're going to burn something again. So, but I mean, if you got the you got a lot of headroom in your credit card, you can keep buying that stuff. But it'd be better as as hams to learn how to solder. So, you only have to buy one, and and there you go. So, um, still working on the uh, ZL2 uh, BMI challenge rig, but I had to get some parts in. And one of the things in particular was the uh, FT2343 uh, ferrite core toroids. These are really small, and I I had to get those so I could fit them in the rig. So. Uh, now, uh, Bill mentioned that um, I, I built his the uh, regen based on the solder smoke uh, blog post, the N0WBA schematic. I actually got it to work. Kind of surprised, <laughs> kind of surprised myself. It was amazing that that video. You know, Pete, you just lucked out because you picked a, a sweepstakes CW weekend to do yeah. it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Man, that yeah. thing was almost jumping off the table. There was so many signals coming in. Wow, yeah. it, it, the video's up. You guys should check it out. It's just just tremendous. Yeah, yeah it's in the it's in the one of the videos in the blog on the blog post. And uh, so yeah, and uh, you you have the typical experience. You get your hand near it, the frequency shifts, and, you know, no shielding or anything of that sort. So uh, yeah, I actually got it to work because initially it didn't work, and and the coil s- slipped down off the form. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it worked. It was like an Alexander Graham Bell moment, you know. It was, it was, a, it was an Edwin Howard Armstrong moment. That's yeah, what it was. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, but uh, takes it works pretty good, and uh, you know that's that's worthy of something. Uh, it could be a one or two hour project if uh, you kind of have all the parts and can do that. Um, everybody also, should do. Everybody should do it once. There you go. Yeah, and then yeah, built regen done that check. Well, back, it's, back to the SI fifty three fifty one. Thank you very much. It's curious you should talk about Armstrong's experiments with the regen and then discovering he built crystal oscillators. A long, long time ago, uh, Allied Radio uh, had an outlet called Night Kits, and they had this line of amateur radio kits. And one of their there were two popular kits. One was the Ocean Hopper receiver, which is ten bucks with plug-in coils. And then there was the Uptown version called the Night Kit Space Banner, which was a 3-2 regen. And this thing came with a metal front panel, and it was $13.95. And uh, I got, uh, actually, my dad built it because I had a broken thumb at the time. But uh, later I took experimenting it, and I actually figured out how to make it transmit. So, <laughs> so my, my night space banner receiver was a night kit space banner transmitter as well so oh, not, not too hard not too hard to do <laughs> oh man good for you well, you know i'm worried that my n0wva receiver is probably putting out a very small signal on the receiver frequency <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm worried that the fc fcc truck might roll up on my front lawn here one of these yeah days. yeah you're there busted you go. man yeah there you go uh up upcoming if you're not a gqrp member you're wrong. You're wrong. You've got to uh, subscribe. You, if you don't you get spread, you're out of it. Yeah, because the, uh, the, in December, uh, next issue coming out, uh, there's a, an, an article on an N6QW transceiver called the Paisano, which is a left-coast SSB transceiver. I and love actually, it. Actually, it builds on the uh, Peregrino board that I took that. I looked at that board and said, okay, throw that out, get rid of that, <laughs> switch this, move that there. And I took the Peregrino board and essentially reworked it so that it uh, has an SI5351, a 9 megahertz filter, and uh, it's got a uh, two VFO range, so uh, it, it boots up on the second VFO and FT8. I have used it on FT8. So uh, it, it's a pretty nice uh, it's a pretty nice transceiver project and it's detailed and then there'll be a, an accompanying uh, whole series of web pages uh, that detail the build but the web pages will not be active until um, uh, the article actually physically gets published. The website is is pretty much done. Uh, the only thing is is that uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna light it off until the article actually hits the streets. Oh, very, um, very exciting. That's good. That looks like a really cool rig. Yeah. Uh, and I love the title, the, a left coast SSB rig. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, to that end, I, I had a s- kind of an interesting experience here with um, uh, my Arduino IDE. Um, mm. I, had, I, had, I, I had loaded, there's a new universal library. 
uh, called the UCGLIB, which covers all kinds of uh, displays, including color TFT and, and the OLEDs, the new color OLEDs. And I loaded that on my computer, and uh, I, I, that's what I did the work on. And by the way, the Paisano does have a color OLED display, the 65,000 colors. And um, I, I noticed that some of my old uh, sketches had a problem. Suddenly, uh, I couldn't, it, it would give an error message when you go to compile it. So I said, oh, what happened here? And I was worried that the UCG library took over uh, some of the function because the ST7735 is the same uh, form uh, of the color OLED as it is of the color TFT. And I said, uh-oh, something got corrupted. Well, uh, when you do get error messages, it pays to read the detail of the error message. I just assumed that it was the uh, 7735, the ST7735 library that corrupted. So I went back, and after I put it aside for about a day or two, and I went back and looked, that wasn't the library. It was the GFX, the Adafruit GFX, the graphics library. So a simple solution was to remove the GFX library from the computer, download a fresh one, and guess what? Everything works now. Somehow that GFX library got corrupted. I, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. There's no rational reason why it would. But once I reloaded a fresh library in there, everything works back. So we're, we're, we're back again on, on, in, in, in business. But uh, I wasn't completely uh, put out to pasture because uh, knowing that this stuff can get goobered up, I actually loaded uh, 1.8.5 on one of the shop computers and I moved all, I made a copy of every one of the sketches and it's on the shop computer. So I wasn't out of business. So that's a good idea if you got a spare computer somewhere, maybe a spare laptop or something like that. Take your Arduino IDE, load it on that, load all the sketches, then you got a backup copy because otherwise I'd have been out of business. Oh, so, man. Um, yeah. You good. know, this. This never happens with my ET2. Yeah, right. <laughs> no software <laughs> involved. You know, I was, I was, I was, as you were thinking of this, Pete. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't say this in a snarky way, but it just it sort of illustrates the difference between the two worlds. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm envious of the waterfalls. I'm very clear about that. But you know, um, for a long time we've been saying, you know, menus are for restaurants. You know, that's and when we t we're talking about the menus on the ICOM, Yakesu, Kenwood Riggs, you know, these, there's endless conversations on the handbands about menu item number 37C and how you can get more presence and brightness and sparkle in your audio. But, but hearing you talk about this current problem, and we've been through this similar versions of it before with the uh, Arduino IDE. Um, um, here's, the, here's the new one uh, libraries are for books. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Hey, hey, you know, I, I almost forgot something uh, when I was mentioning earlier about getting all the columns in that, and this kind of ties in with that. There was a guy that had a, a Collins KWM2 that he had for sale on on um, QTH uh, classifieds, not, not eBay, but the QTH classifieds. And I looked at that, and he was asking a really low price for it. So I sent him an email and said, are, are you serious? Is that That's what you're selling this thing for? And it really, you know, physically the, the case looked good, and I figured if there's something wrong inside, I probably can fix it. 
So he writes back and said, oh, man, he said, uh, I got no takers. So he sent it off to this guy to get it fixed because it didn't work. And so obviously when he comes back, uh, you, you know, when he gets it back, he's going to ask for a lot more money. So there, there went that deal day late and dollar short. So then I, uh, I sent it back. I said, well, I have some interest. And I sent him a picture of the KWM4. And I said, yeah, I like to like to dabble with this stuff. And th this is one of the things that I built. So <clears throat> yesterday, after I got in a, a Collins net, all of a sudden I get an email from this guy. He said, oh, he said, I just heard you check in. He said, I had my flex radio tuned to the Colorado <laughs> SDR. And he said, I copied you. He said, it really sounds good. So, so you know, here, here we have uh, the ability to, with some of these uh, new SDR rigs to just tune into various receivers and you know listen listen to stations all over. So I was kind of surprised, but he he did hear the uh, the KWM2. Now he didn't tell me it sounded as good as his Flex 6600, but but he did hear me. <laughs> They're not allowed. There's a con a provision in the buyer's contract when you get it that you you, you cannot you know, say something like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm surprised but, he didn't tell you you were seven hertz high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my design, so I have a s distinctive signal. <laughs> that gives you something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, so we're looking forward to the to the Paisano, and um, yeah, this all comes down to when you know stuff, you can do stuff. Yeah. We heard rumors, Pete, of a of a bidx u bit micro bidx six I, I yeah. checked. You you checked, and I checked. This might be a kind of fake news. Yeah, but a rumor cool. out there because I, I looked on their uh, the mailing list, and the, the latest version is version five of MicroBidX. So six point promising all kinds of almost supernatural capabilities. They might be a little bit ahead of the game. That might be a bit of a spoof, but I'm sure version six will eventually come along. They're in version five now, but we'll have to wait and see. Well. There was a post from Farhan. He said, <laughs> "Tell me about it." <laughs> yeah, but but he's such an open source guy that he, I think he's always been open to the fact that other people could produce versions of this rig and sell it and get on with it. So it might be somebody else out there. Well, but if Farhan doesn't know about it, that's a bad sign. Yeah, and then the guy posted a schematic. Nobody could read the schematic. <laughs> it was all fuzzy. <laughs> it was, no, because it was it was it was in Klingon. It's extraterrestrial. Yeah, yeah there, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, he he then said, "This is my oh, this is my own design." And I I think one of the thing one of the features was the AGC. Is that is that did I read that right? Well, it has AGC? Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't see that. Yeah, I think that was the thing that the people were complaining about was AGC, the lack of AGC, and so yeah, just turn the volume down. That's well, all you got to do. All these years, I've been 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 managing to survive with um, MGC. Yeah, manual yeah. gain control. Manual, yes, <laughs> absolutely. There you go. I, I I don't use headphones that I turn down the volume when it gets too loud. So it's pretty good. Hey, speaking of bit X's, there was another bit of news that this is not fake news. This is for real. Uh, no more bit X forties. No more BitX40 modules. You know, the mm. BitX40 was the monoband version that was out there a couple of years ago before the micro BitX was developed. And we all loved this this rig and this board, but Farhan says that it just not doesn't doesn't make sense a lot of in a lot of ways for them to continue to produce it. So there was a lot of kind of, you know, sad faces, no more BitX40s. But my response mm. is, hey, there's nothing to prevent you from building your own BitX40 now and forever the schematic is out there gather the parts 
really homebrew it. it just because he's yeah. not selling the completely manufactured board, this might represent an opportunity for some of you guys who want to do something like this because it is, as you and I have both proven, it is possible to homebrew one of these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I would, well, I would I would say more satisfying too. And this might be a good step forward for some of the guys who've had so much fun with the the module. You know, now you can actually really build one. You know, use your experience, gather the parts. You could probably still get a board if you wanted to do it sort of halfway. But if you wanted to, you could just scratch build it on a piece of copper clad board, and yes. then off you go. Yeah, a single sided copper vector board. That that's how I built mine. The the Bitx twenty. And uh, that was like 11, 12 years ago, and it's real easy to use. Matter, but thing is, I had to manufacture the board because I didn't have any stock, so I actually hand drilled out all the holes. You never want to do that. But uh, you know, I was I was thinking, if there were some boards around, I I would probably change that to to a bit X10, and then think about building a transverter for like six meters or two meters. Oh man, you're you're getting exotic here, Pete. You're moving no, up into the stratosphere. No. <laughs> no, easy to do. Easy to do. Well, my Once first you... my first one was a bit X seventeen. Yeah, there you go. Easy jump. There you go. Well, maybe maybe this would be a good project for for solar minimum because we're we're probably going to be in the doldrums here for quite some time. Although we're, there are we're indications... in cycle twenty, we're in cycle twenty five, or at least someone told me that. That was me. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Okay, I saw go. this video where they were saying that they spotted a couple of sunspots that have the the characteristic of cycle twenty five sunspots, but uh, it's it could be a long time before we're we're above SN zero. So yeah, maybe six and two that'd be fun. I don't know. I, I can never build anything up that high because all my test gear stops working at about thirty megahertz. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, anybody got a Bed X forty board that they'd like or a rig that they'd like to sell for ten bucks? Uh, look me up in qrz.com and send me an email, and I'll send you ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go the, the secondary market on bitx 40s yeah so, soon they'll be selling for six hundred dollars yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't get them anymore hey um speaking of bitx's there was another thing that came up we were talking about i think we were talking about with grayson and a few other people and that is the possibility and i've mentioned this before and i i claim credit for this idea which i'm about to disavow um the bitx 101 yeah nice this, this is okay. This is the idea, and it's a common problem that many of us old timers have. What do you do with that Heathkit HW101 that you loved so much back in the day, but has been gathering dust in your ham shack since about 1987? Um, and you know, I, I have one here, I really like it. It doesn't age well, it kind of falls apart, the plastic breaks. It, the, the parts were chosen not for quality but for economy. And it shows over time, but there's a lot of really good stuff in there, and I just don't have the heart to to sell it or send it to the landfill or anything like that. So we were talking about bid axes, and somebody said, "Hey, why don't you just stuff a micro bid x in there, and then use maybe the driver or maybe just the two sixty one forty sixes in there for a one hundred watt output on all bands?" Yeah. Ooh. And I found this article where a guy really detailed how to do that, at least how to interface the, uh, the 6146s with a low-power uh, QRP rig. So this would be an ideal idea for, um, 
for for making a, a BIDX 101. But you know what, Pete? I've decided no. I'm not going to do it. At least for now. Here's why. There were, around the same time, on one of the other uh, email reflectors, an old-timer was talking about how, after being away from tube gear for a while, he decided to go back and work on one of his amplifiers. You know, and he had gotten out of practice, hadn't been doing it, and, you know, he was working on this thing when it was fired up, and his thumb slipped and hit the plate cap. <clears throat> 1,800 volts, my friend. <clears throat> DC. Boom. Wow, really scary. And uh, I started thinking, all right, you know, <laughs> uh, why, why go through that with the 26146s when you could do the same thing with a $100 amplifier kit from Communications Concepts Incorporated, the EB63A, will also produce 100 watts RF on any band you want, and it operates not with 1,800 volts, but 12. You know, you, you could hurt yourself with 12 volts, but you really got to work at it. Whereas 1,800 volts, one slip of the thumb, and it's lights out, you know? Yeah, yeah well, actually, uh, there's some kits being offered, uh, RF amplifier kits, 100-watt uh, kits for 20 bucks. Yeah, see, that's the thing. So... As much as I love the HW101 and I love the idea of making use of that final amplifier circuit, it's still going to re require me to put a whole lot of high voltage DC from the power supply through the cable up into the chassis. And it's really not necessary when you have these solid state amplifiers available. So no, I, I, th I, think, I think not. You know, I, I originally got away from, from a lot of tube work when the kids were born. But I guess now that I'm getting older, the idea is that there are similarly good reasons not to, uh, right. not to risk desk, death every time you approach the workbench. Right. So, absolutely. There you go. All right. Are you with me on that, Pete? You see, see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm sure, you know, Grayson, apologies. We know you love this stuff, but no, nah, not for me. Hey, Pete, time for, for Soda Smoke Mailbag. Go. Bong. All right. We got a lot of good stuff here. First, we, we heard from... Uh, Steve Silverman, the official lexicographer or lexicon guy for uh, the solder smoke uh, community. Uh, Steve chimes in. He says he's got a new term that he wants to use his power as the lexicon guy to, to coin, to launch, to introduce to the world. He's, he proposes, and I'm not, I'm not sure about this one, that there are certain modes that we refer to as audible modes versus weak signal modes. I know what he's getting at here. He's saying like CW, sideband, where you can actually, where you have to hear it and you have to be able to hear it, to use it, should be referred to as audible modes. Whereas these other exotic digital modes that are kind of below the noise should be referred to as weak signal modes, like whisper, FT8, and all that. And I said to him, well, Steve, I, I see the distinction you're making, but as somebody who has been pestered by FT8 on the 40-meter CW frequencies, my, my, my wish was I, will, I really wish those FT8 signals were, in fact, not audible. <laughs> yeah. My problem is you could hear them just fine. So what do, you, what do you think? Audible modes versus weak signal modes? I don't know. I mean, well, Steve's in charge, uh, but... Yeah, well, y y you know... I, I guess uh, 
I think about the guy that tunes uh, the whisper frequency and says, I can't hear anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. well, it's there, but it's a, it's a weak, it's a WSM. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the, um, the thing about whisper is when they talk about how, how it can detect signals below the noise, the noise figure that they're using is based on, a, I think, a 2.3 kilohertz bandwidth. So that's the noise, and then the, the these signals they're they're very very slow and very very hertz. narrow. Yeah, less than a hundred hertz. Yeah, yeah less than a hundred hertz and very slow. So it's it's really interesting technology. But how you define the noise is is really important there. I don't know, Steve. We're gonna have to we'll, we'll have to see what the community says. But like I said, you're the you're the, you're the lexicon guy, so it's in the book, and good to hear from you, Steve. I, hey, listen, one one person I mentioned, not really an email. I did. Oh, there was a follow up email from him. Felipe, Charlie Uniform 2 Bravo Delta, my old buddy from San Miguel Island out in the Azores. One day, I was sitting here on 20 meters. I got the Bidex 20 fired up. Sun is going down, and I hear this signal coming in, and all I can hear in the beginning of it is just Charlie Uniform 2. You know, and for three years, I was Charlie Uniform 2 Juliet Lima. So my ears perked up. I gave him a call, and I got the rest of the call, and it was Felipe, Felipe Sosa Lima, my old buddy. He was the first one to give me a report on my 17-meter double sideband rig. I knew I was getting out. And he was just right across the town there in, in Punta Delgada, uh, San Miguel Island in the Azores. It was great to hear from him. Very good. Hey, another another old friend that we recently heard from is uh, Michael Rainey, Alpha Alpha 1 Tango Juliet AA1TJ, really the, uh, the master of exotic, super low-power QRPPPP uh, rigs. Um, Michael was frequently, uh, frequently had the Jim W1PID on the other end of his uh, very low power ex, uh, adventures. And I, when I was emailing, uh, Jim, thanking him for his help with my ET2, I CC'd Michael and we heard back from him. And, um, I hope, I'm really hoping that Michael's going to get back in the game and he's been away from radio for a while. He's been working on other things, but Michael, the ionosphere needs you. These are the days. You need you to get back. Solar number zero. These are the times to try out those voice-powered QRPPP rigs under really, really adverse conditions. So, uh, Michael, From the hole in the ground. Yeah, from the, from the hobbit hole in Vermont. Uh, get that soldering iron uh, warmed up, my friend. Winter's coming. Hey, I um, heard from Jack Welch. AI4SV, got from a, a friend from the local area oh, here. Oh, and, the other Jack Welch. Yeah, <laughs> from <laughs> and from the um, and, and and from the Foreign Service community too. He and his family now have been relocated to Five Golf Land. Do you know what Five Golf is, Pete? No, no, it Cyprus, Cyprus. Cyprus. Ooh. Dangerous. Ooh, Cyprus, that's really cool. He's Dangerous. trying to he's trying to get his station going. He's kind of antenna challenged. Got not, not a whole lot of room up on top of the townhouse, but he's thinking about building an Oscar 100 S-Hail station. That's yeah. that geostationary satellite that they have up there. God, I love that thing. You know, sometimes I forget that it's not over our our part of the world, that it's over the Eastern Hemisphere. And I sit, I sit here and I'm thinking, well, if I could get this dish that I got up on the roof and I could get this thing, I could build a station. And I'm thinking, nope, it's on the other side of the planet. We don't have one. But good luck to you, Jack, and it'd be good if you get that thing going. Wonder if he knows Gordon. Gordon? Uh, oh. <laughs> listen, um, <laughs> behave yourself. Hey, okay. uh, listen, um, uh, speaking of overseas hams, Walter, Alpha Charlie 4, India Mike, 
still stationed at the San Vito Italy Solar Observatory. Talk about dream jobs, Pete. Tough, tough duty. Oh, my God. Tough duty. Holy cow. Walter, count your lucky stars, my friend. Um, do you need an assistant? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think you've got two guys here would, would volunteer, would be over there pretty quick. But, but here's the thing. You know, you're, you're over there working on this thing full time, Walter. About those sunspots. Can't you do something? I yeah. mean, it's just sitting there. I mean, do something, Walter. Sunspot number zero. It's just, it's no fun at all. Hey, also from that part of the world, not far from Walter, Costas, Sierra Victor 3, Oscar Radio Alpha, SV3ORA, has put out a truly amazing website. And it's, it's, it's just an amazing amount of information, details, links, Many of them his own projects where he's gone through and done kind of modifications on all kinds of different rigs and regens and everything else. Um, it's very reminiscent of the, the, the website from Japan, JF1OZL. Oh, that guy. Jeez. He was great. But this is almost like a, a Greek version of that. You guys really have to check it out. Just go to Google. Or I have links to it on the, on the Solder Smoke blog. But check out Kostas's page. He is a true wizard working over there in Greece, and he's put together this amazing, um, in English, uh, a page. Really great stuff. Thanks thanks for that, Costas, and I hope you get a lot of uh, good feedback from the Solder Smoke listeners. Well, you know what their their secret is, don't you? It's either Saki or Uzo. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one or the other. <laughs> one or the other, yeah. Whatever it is, they're doing great. Yeah. We heard from uh, Mike, KC6SAX, and... Uh, he, I think he's a relatively new home brewer. Pete, you and I talked to him about the need for patience you know, yes. and, and how to overcome the frustrations that inevitably come with homebrew radio. This is not plug and play. This is not easy. And there are times when you're going to sit there and look at that thing that you're working on saying, I hate this thing deeply and I want to get away from it for good. At, at that point, and, and, and we've all been there. I mean, I've actually had dreams of getting so frustrated with a rig that I took and removed from the board all the 150 or so parts that I had previously soldered on there right. so carefully. It's, it's really can be really frustrating. But I think those of us who've been doing this for a while have learned a trick. And that is when you get to that point, unplug the soldering iron, take the device, put it on the shelf, Maybe put a cloth or something over it so you can't see it. Go out and take a walk. Do something else. Maybe don't go back to it for a few days. Maybe don't go back to it for a few weeks. Sometime during the intervening period, you may get an idea. You may think, wait a second. Did I place that bypass capacitor in the right place? Or was that coil that I put in there of the proper value? Was it the right kind of toroid? Or maybe you'll just come up with an idea about taking a fresh approach to troubleshooting, to figuring out what's wrong with it. But give it some time. Get away from it. Because if, if you've kind of worked yourself up to the point where you're, 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 you're contemplating destruction of your creation, it's probably time to take a break and take a walk. or walk a dog or something. Anyway, uh, good luck to you, Mike. I think you've got, you got, you got, you got a bright future in the, in the homebrew business. And uh, the, the intensity with which you approach these things is admirable, but sometimes you just got to take a break. What do you think, Pete? I, that and, and start small. 
I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that was a pretty complex project. I mean, it, it'd be complex for me. And, I, I, you know, as a first project, I I just looked and I said, well, okay, maybe he'll, he'll be lucky and be successful. But I think you offer sage advice about, you know, put it on the shelves, think about it. And then it's amazing what uh, a couple of days you go back with a fresh look, fresh pair of eyes, and you find things that you didn't even think of uh, previously. Yeah, and, and regens are tough. Regens are, are, are really, really kind of tough. Hey, we, we heard from uh, Paul, KL7FLR, and he sent in a report, a really nice report, from the Maricopa County Live Steam Train event. Fun. That he was out there. And from that event, he reported that you are indeed 7 hertz high. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Paul. Thanks for the words of encouragement. Uh, Steve, uh, Pete, of course, is doing that on purpose just to annoy people. Right. All right, good. And then uh, finally, uh, Keith, W3ISZ, sent us uh, a picture of, his, uh, of his, his picture of the Mercury Transit. His picture was a lot better than mine. Thanks a lot for that, Keith. Pete, you get any other mail? Anything else you want to mention? No, I, I just uh, I think it's uh, it's kind of interesting. This this year has clipped along really quickly. I mean, I, I can't believe we're we're staring Christmas about three four weeks from now, and 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 it was just New Year's yesterday. So <laughs> amazing. But but I'm looking forward to um, uh, 2020 uh, because of all the technology that's that's brewing right now bill i mean it's just we saw so many amazing things in 2019 and there's just so much more stuff that's uh, coming down the pike Lot, lots of amazing stuff i see a whole a whole slew of radios coming from china uh some really nice uh, sdr rigs uh for 250 bucks i mean and then they got the uptown version for 450 and, uh, you know, as more of these proliferate, uh, the price is going to come down and just amazing technology that's available to us, especially in components, uh, especially in finished hardware. So uh, we, we live in a great time. It's going to be great. We're going to have good good home brewing during 2020. Yeah. All right, Pete. A lot to look forward to. Again, happy Thanksgiving to, to all of our USA listeners. Uh, and uh, and 7-3 from Northern Virginia. 7-3 is from the left coast. Ciao, Pete. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well... 
we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!